you got a Bible, you can open up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah this morning, we're going to start off by reading one verse, and uh, we are also going to be looking at a topic this morning, the topic of fear. And so I'm typically preaching through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 is where we are, uh, but we're taking a little break last week and this week, and we're studying last week the topic of worry, and this week we're going to study the topic of fear. And I've entitled the sermon today, From Fear to Faith. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. What a great opportunity again for us to kind of look at these topics of worry and faith and uh, worry and fear. And so this, this morning again, from fear to faith, I'll start with Isaiah 41.10 and we'll be looking at some selected scriptures together throughout our time in the word this morning. So Isaiah 41.10 says this, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Father, we're grateful this morning to be able to sing the songs that we've sung, to be able to hear the scriptures that we've heard read, and we're grateful to tackle this topic of fear today as we see the word fear replete throughout the scripture in different contexts with different nuances of meaning. And I pray that today that we would fear not that we would trust you, that we would look to you as our rock and our defender. We know that you will strengthen us and that you will help us and that you will uphold us with your righteous right hand. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, fear and anxiety are part of living in a sin-cursed world. Last week, we looked at the topic of worry, and we were reminded that worry is an over-anxious concern about the future. Worry is something that divides, it tears apart, and it distracts your attention from Christ. Worry can enslave a believer with involuntary-like reactions that can be hazardous to your health and devastating to your inner man. Bottom line, worry is a sin. It is unnecessary because God is trustworthy. His word is our hope. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. We are to not worry about our lives because we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, Jesus said, will be added unto us. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Well, today I want to talk to you about a similar topic. It's the topic of fear. Fear and worry are connected, but they are not exactly the same thing. Fear is what happens in the acute stage and worry is what sets in as a chronic problem. Fear heightens your emotions, it shocks your body, and it alarms your soul. Worry is something that kind of sets in a little bit more subtle than fear. It sets in over time if the issue has not been resolved. The word fear in the New Testament is the word phobos, where we get our word phobia from. It means to be, to be in an apprehensive state, to be afraid, or to become frightened. 
There are lots of phobias that are listed in today's world. If you were to look up phobia or fear on some psychological website, you're going to get a list of things such as arachnophobia, which, as you know, is a fear of spiders. There's bacteriophobia, the fear of bacteria. There's cacophobia, which is the fear of ugliness. There is decidophobia, the fear of making decisions. Ecclesiophobia, the fear of church. Francophobia, the fear, the fear of France and French culture. <laughs> Gamophobia, the fear of marriage. Homilophobia, the fear of sermons. Japanophobia, you guessed it, the fear of Japan. Uh, insectophobia, the fear of insects. Cathisophobia, the fear of sitting down. Lachinophobia, the fear of vegetables. All of my kids have that one. Myoxophobia, the fear of slime. Neelophobia, the fear of glass. Octobiophobia, the fear of the figure eight. Pediophobia, the fear of dolls. Uh, Ranadophobia, the fear of frogs. Scriptophobia, the fear of writing in public. Telephonophobia, the fear of telephones. Uranophobia, the fear of heaven. How about this next one? Vaccinophobia. <laughs> it's on the list, people. The fear of getting vaccines. Uh, xenophobia, the fear of color, yellow, or the word yellow. And then xenophobia, the fear of the great mole rat. My wife has that one. So, you know, we all <laughs> have a bunch of different fears in this world. It's a little humorous because basically they've added like a label to every single type of fear that you could ever imagine. And yet we know in the human heart, if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, you could let anything, that's the point of me giving you the whole list, you could really let anything make you afraid. And hopefully while you may not be struggling with some of the comical things on the list this morning, you could be afraid of other things like COVID like the vaccine, like the mandates that are rolling out, forcing people to get the vaccine against their will. You could be afraid of things like disaster, the fear of natural calamity, disease, the fear of serious illness, debt, the fear of financial collapse, defeat, the fear of failure, disconnection, the fear of being alone, disapproval, the fear of rejection, danger, the fear of sudden trouble, depression, the fear of a mental breakdown, or death, the fear of dying. Whatever you are afraid of this morning, please remember that Psalm 118 verse 6 says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or Isaiah 41.10 that we already read, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It has been said that the Bible says, Fear not, 365 times throughout the Bible, which is one for every single day. Every single day, we can remember, fear not. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with any type of fear of any kind, my prayer for you this morning is that you would put your fear before God and that he would transform that fear in your life to a faith that is steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so this morning, as we look at the topic of fear, I want to talk to you about the definition of fear, the explanation of fear, the examination of fear in your life, and then 
in the transformation from fear to faith. Last week's sermon and this week's sermon is a little bit more of a biblical counseling lecture. I took these, uh, this, this outline, if you will, from some material from a syllabus off of some of the biblical counseling literature that we use over at Masters, and I've kind of adapted it a little bit and added a few things here and there. But let's look at this outline together if we can. The first heading says this, a definition of fear, the definition of fear. In your first blank, if you are taking notes, says unbelievers should fear God. For the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of the judgment of God which leads to eternal death and separation from God. Fear is an unpleasant emotion that is caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous and that they are likely to cause pain or to be a threat. And in one sense, we're saying for an unbeliever to have the fear of God, that's a good thing. An unbeliever should not be comfortable in the presence of a holy God. It is a good thing. It is a healthy fear for we were all at one point an unbeliever. And we were all at one time scared maybe about coming to church, ecclesiophobia. We're scared of the scriptures being read or for some preacher like me this morning ranting and railing about the seriousness of a holy God and the consequences of rejecting him. And I'm saying in one sense, this is a holy fear. Jesus says in Luke 12, 5, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus tells us to be afraid in the right and appropriate ways. And we're saying that unbelievers should fear a holy God who can both kill the body and cast the body and the soul into hell forever. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a non-denominational church and our church oftentimes would host this, this drama to come to our church around the time of Halloween because that was a good time to do it. And this particular drama team was called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Anybody ever heard of this one? All right, so I grew up in a church like that, and man, that thing was going down in our church, and I was scared to death, because when you walked in at our church, it was all blacked out, and there was one single aisle down the middle, and all the people sat on this side and sat on that side, and then all of a sudden, they would have like a spotlight shine on some poor soul who just died, who's walking up to the front of the church. And it would be like they're talking about like, oh, I was in a car wreck and I didn't even know. And you know, I'm too young to die. And they're kind of walking up and they get to the judgment seat. And there's like an angel in white with wings on and, and or something you know, to that effect. And they're like looking through the book. They're like, well, I have the book of the Lamb of Life here. What was your name? You know, and the kid gives them their name and they're like, Smith. And they're like, you know, they're like, taking their time. Did you, what did you say your name was again? You know, and they're trying to read. And if, if the kid or the adult died and if the name was in the book of life, this side of the, of the, of the you know, stage would, would light up and it would be like angels and nice, uh, beautiful heavenly music and welcome to your eternal reward. And it was like, oh, that's, that's not too bad. That's kind of cool. But then, <laughs> you know what's coming, right? If your name wasn't found in the book of life, then all of a sudden on this side, there would be like a gate to hell and they would like pull this gate open and there's like fire and flames and shrieking coming out and then there's some guy with a pitchfork and the grim reaper and he would come out and just grab you and drag you into that pit and I would sit there in the church and like, oh my word, I can't handle this. This is like killing me. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily for that drama but I'm not really against it either. 
still don't know exactly what I think about it because I just know it, it, made a, it made a difference in my heart to realize the seriousness of heaven and hell. And I think more important than the drama would be really what would be said after that because in one sense, you're not trying to scare somebody into heaven. But in another sense, you're not trying to say, oh, hell's no big deal, right? You gotta find the balance somehow. Different people do it in different ways. All I'm saying is, is that we need to have, as an unbeliever, a healthy fear of God. And if you're not afraid of God, then you've never seen God for who he is. Because if you see him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, then you will realize that you are nothing like him. And you will respond like Isaiah did in chapter 6 where he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. And that you'll realize that your consequence of your rejection of the gospel is hell forever. Now, that's just what the Bible teaches. And so when you talk about the fear of God for an unbeliever, that's what we're talking about. Jesus warns us to fear God in this way. Jesus tells us that God has the power not only to kill, but to throw that person into hell. Now, once you become a Christian, you fear God in a different way. So your next blank says, believers should fear the Lord. Not only should unbelievers fear the Lord, as in bringing them to saving faith, but after you're brought into saving faith, the believers should also fear the Lord. As a Christian, you should fear the Lord, but not in the same way that an unbeliever does. In fact, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 is Peter's writing to the saints there at Rome who are facing persecution and facing difficulty, and they're in a hard uh, time in, in the life of the early church. First Peter 1:17, Peter says, "And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile." Now, this isn't talking about the exile of the Old Testament saints who were in Babylon. This is just simply saying those who are still on earth living in a culture of unbelievers, for his listeners in the Roman culture, of unbelief and persecution. And he's telling them, look, you need to call upon your father. Don't worry about Nero. Don't worry about the emperor. Don't worry about those in, in control. You worry about God. Because God judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now, we understand as you take all of Scripture, you're not saved by deeds or not doing deeds, but we know that those who are saved will walk in obedience, and therefore there will be fruit that's evident. And so God understands that he's looking at your deeds as a evidence of your faith, not as that which has truly saved you. And we get that throughout the New Testament. But here he's saying what you need to do is you need to be walking in obedience. In the middle of the verse, it says, conduct yourselves Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. So what does Peter mean? I mean, he's talking to believers and he says, you guys need to be afraid. Or he's saying you need to conduct yourselves with fear. When, when the apostle Peter commands us to conduct ourselves with fear during the time of your exile, your stay on earth, what does he mean? Did Peter mean that believers should live in terror? Or did he mean that Christians should live in reverence? While there certainly is an important balance to reverence and terror, it, it, it seems that in this context, Peter is emphasizing fear as reverence, as awe, or as respect. And Peter is not describing fear in this verse as a paralyzing terror, which leads to worry or anxiety or the, un, uh, the inability to approach God at all. 
Peter is thinking, however, about the final judgment for every believer, which ought to instill a healthy type of fear of God, which motivates holy living. When you realize that you do serve a holy God, there should be a healthy respect and a reverence that motivates us to holy living. Proverbs 1.17 embraces the fear of the Lord that a Christian should have when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. When you fear the Lord, he protects you from other fears. Psalm 115, 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. So what he's saying is when you fear God over fearing your circumstances, now you're pointed in the right direction and you're orienting yourself towards a holy God who's already bought you with a price through his son, Jesus Christ, and because your respect for him and you're in awe of him, that you want to follow him and it matters in how you live. So you're fearing him in a way that he is now your help and he's your shield. And I do want to just quickly state here in your next blank of the outline, reasonable fear of danger or difficulty does exist in the life that we live. Fear can be a very positive thing, just even in a, in a, in a, you know, in a natural, normal way, that when you're afraid uh, as you're driving down the freeway or you're afraid of danger, uh, that's healthy. And even Psalm 56 verse 3 alludes to that when it says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And so we understand that throughout life, there's certain fears that we ought to have, but even in that moment, no matter what it is, we gotta put our faith and our trust in the Lord. And so that's just a little bit of a definition of fear. Let's go a little bit deeper now and look at the second heading of the outline and let's look at an explanation of fear. Let's kind of see this fleshed out a little bit more. A in your outline says, ungodly fears are directly related to what we're thinking. Ungodly fears are directly related to what we're thinking. Most of you remember what Abraham did when he and Sarah were temporarily to move to Egypt because of the famine that had come upon the land of Israel. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 11 through 13, it says, when he was about to enter into Egypt, so this is Abraham and Sarah, they've left Israel, they've headed to Egypt, and they are being careful about their time there. And so when they headed to Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, this is Abraham living out of fear. This is Abraham not thinking correctly in this moment. He's focused on what might happen, what could happen. And so he's willing to kind of pivot here and to tell Sarah to do something that wasn't truthful because fear got into Abraham's heart which is why it's so important. It's kind of understandable what he's going through. Maybe some people would argue situational ethics with that particular situation. But we understand that we've got to be careful not to let fear get in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Another explanation of fear would be B in your outline there. When sinfully fearful, we are focused on circumstances rather than on God. 
When we are in sinful fear, we're more focused on circumstances than on God. And Genesis 32, verses 7 through 12, talks about Jacob being greatly afraid and distressed about what Esau would do to him when he returned to Israel. Numbers 13, 25 through 14, 5 talks about how when the spies came back from Canaan, how the 10 of the 12 spies were afraid. They were afraid of the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites. But it was Caleb. Remember, it was Caleb and Joshua, the two of the 12 spies who say, hey, we're not afraid. Let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Or how about the disciples when they're in the boat with Jesus when the storm comes up in Mark 4, 35 through 41, uh, they're in the boat, the windstorm arose, there's waves breaking into the boat so much so that the boat is already filling up with water. This made the disciples very much afraid, but Jesus rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And then he says in Mark 4, 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so again, we get this understanding that there's a healthier fear for the Christian of God, of God's son. In this case, they were to fear Christ more than they feared the storm. It's almost like, man, who is this that even the winds and the waves would obey him? That's a healthy kind of fear. We need to learn to fear God more than we fear our problems. Another explanation of fear, see there in your outline, is when we are fearful, we are focused on self. When we are fearful, we are focused on self. When Moses was preparing the Israelites to enter the promised land, he said in Deuteronomy 7, 17 through 18, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I depose them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. So that they're in Moab, they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses senses that they're a little bit afraid. It's been about 40 years. Every, that generation had died. Now they're about to move into the promised land and he senses there that in their hearts that the Israelites were saying in Deuteronomy 7, 17, these nations are greater than I. And the problem is they're just focused on themselves. They're like, there's still no way that we can cross this river Jordan, enter into Jericho, and somehow depose all of the Canaanites out of the land of Canaan. They were afraid because they were comparing their enemy with themselves. And when you think about your problem or your threat is greater than you are, then you'll be destroyed because many times the problem is greater than you. But the point is, you're not supposed to compare the problem with yourself but you're to remember your great God, which is why Moses says to them, did you guys remember what God did to Pharaoh? The most powerful army in the universe just 40 years ago when we crossed the Red Sea. Do you guys remember what happened to Pharaoh and his chariots, how they drowned in the Red Sea? Are you afraid because now you're comparing your new enemy to yourselves? Compare this situation to God. That's what we should be doing. We should be reminded of Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers nor things 
present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Another explanation of fear is when we are engaged in ungodly fear, we are fearing something else more than we fear God. When we're engaged in ungodly fear, we're fearing something else more than we fear God. Job chapter 3, verse 25 says, For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Now, some commentators would say that's, that verse is in Job 3. So they would say that it's possible that Job was actually fearful in Job 1 and 2 of the fact that he might lose his livestock and lose his family someday because in chapter 3, he says, for the thing that I fear comes upon me. And so we have to understand that many times we have an ungodly fear when we fear something else more than we fear God. We should be fearing uh, God and not fearing what might happen to our business or our family, which is why Proverbs 14, 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Galatians 1:10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would be a servant of Christ. And so this is really what we've got to do. If you'll look there at the chart, kind of in this point here, we're looking at different things here that we may want or love or fear more than God. And so if that chart is up on the screen, maybe go to the next slide here. Okay, and and you have it there in your notes as well. But here are some things that you may fear more than God. You could fear man. We just read about that in Galatians 1.10. You're so afraid about what people think, about what they think about you about what they think about your house or your car or your clothes or your grades or your ability at sports or your lack of ability at sports. <laughs> You're just so afraid about what do people think about everything that I'm doing? You're afraid of man or you're afraid of unwanted circumstances. I don't want the government to tell me that I have to get a vaccine. And I'm saying to you, I agree with you, but let's not be afraid about it. There's ways around it. Come on, we're going to figure this out. We're fighters, right? We ain't going down that easy. So I'm just saying, we're not going to sit here and be afraid of unwanted circumstances. The next one says losing something or someone dear. Obviously, those kinds of thoughts can just grip your heart. Things that you may fear more than God, just your people, your family are losing them. Bodily harm. That's like one of the worst things that you would fear persecution to the point of having your your, your, your body beaten and bruised like many Christians do around the world who face immense persecution. Right now, ours comes in the form of fining you or maybe losing your job or maybe going to jail, but the idea of being beaten and bodily harm or just a sickness. It could be you're afraid of sickness or getting some type of illness where, where your body has been ravaged by some type of cancer or some type of other chronic illness. And we can compare the things that we fear more than God with the other side of the chart. It says things that we want or love more than God. If you're, if you're fearing uh, more than God, man, then what you're going to be wanting is man's approval. And what, what, what I'm trying to help you see there is this becomes an idol. You begin to want man's approval, so when you don't get it, you're fearing man. Uh, the, you're wanting a life of ease or comfort with no pain, which is what we all want. 
But if you want it too much, and you want it so badly that when you don't get it, then you fall into these unwanted circumstances and you become afraid it could be a sinful thing. Or, or you want money or health or a person or things, or you want safety and no pain. We have to understand here that there are things that we fear, but we want to learn as Christians that we fear God more. We fear him more, so these things don't control us. They don't captivate our hearts. Jesus does. We fear him who can say to the winds and the waves, be still. And we stand in awe of him. And we live our life in in, in a connection with him, not so much as grabbing on to all of these fears. Uh, Another explanation of fear would be E, there in your outline, ungodly fear will most likely motivate us to commit other sins. We talked about Abraham and Sarah. His son Isaac picked up on that because in Genesis 26, he had the same fear that Abraham, his father, had. And so he also lied about it. Genesis 26, 7, when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. And the verse says, for he feared to say, my wife thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. So though it is not, uh, you know, a full confession, Saul did the same thing when he acknowledged his sin to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Fear gripped Peter's heart when he lied about knowing Christ. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you were also with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Again, fear gripped his heart. Fear caused Peter not to associate with the Gentiles. When the Jews showed up in Galatians 2.12, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And so what we're saying is that fear in and of itself is a sin. Do not fear, for I am with you. But that sin of fear now leads you to do other sins, like lying, like cheating, like, like uh, showing uh, a, a racist attitude like, uh, like uh, Peter did in Galatians. It, fear begins to cause you to do other things. Another explanation of fear would be F, ungodly fear, accomplishes absolutely nothing worthwhile. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or last week we read Matthew 6, 27, Jesus says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? So fear really accomplishes nothing good when it's the sinful category of fear. And one last explanation of fear is G, not being right with God can lead to fear and anxiety. Whenever you are living in unrepentant sin, this can lead to fear and anxiety Psalm 1, uh, excuse me, Psalm 38, 17 through 18 says, for I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity and I am sorry for my sin. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. A couple of verses that you can do a little study on, just reminding us that sometimes when we're not right with God, now part of that, that fear should make us want to be right with God, but part of that is we don't live our life in fear. We take care of our hearts by keeping them right, 
before the Lord. And so now that we've seen a definition of fear, we've understood a deeper explanation of fear, let me move to our third headline, number three, examination of fear in your life. And I'll just kind of browse through these quickly. You can read them and contemplate on them more later today or this week as you review these notes, maybe together with your wife or husband or your family. But here's some great questions that you can ask if you're sitting here today and you're like, ah, I don't struggle with fear. I'm a brave soldier. You know, just read through these questions and see if you can relate to anything. A, is there anything that you are presently fearful about? Anything that you're presently fearful about? B, recall the last five times that you were fearful. Explain the situation that was involved. Did the situation come about due to other sins of yours? Next question, uh, what was your thinking for each of the situations you faced? Were you thinking about tomorrow? Were you concerned about temporal things or eternal things? Was your focus on unfounded possibilities? What were you fearing more than God? How were you focused on self or not on loving others? D, how will you respond? How did you respond to your fear? What did you do in that moment when you were afraid? E, what was the results of being sinfully fearful if you were? F, how were you not trusting God? G, what have you done? about those things, those situations, or those fears since then? H, what kinds of things typically contribute to anxiety and fear? I, what sins do you tend to commit due to fear or anxiety? When you are in that state of fear, do you lie? Do you fail to do what God wants? Are you irresponsible? Do you choose not to think of others or love others in that moment of fear? Uh, J, do you need to keep track of when and why you become anxious or fearful in the next few weeks? Maybe part of your homework would to keep a little bit of a log about what's going on now that you're being further equipped of how to face your fears. Uh, K says, are you sure that you are in good standing with God because you are in Christ? Are you confident that you are God's child? On what do you base that confidence L says, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? And so these are excellent questions that can help you do a deeper examination of where fear exists in your life. And then let me help you as you identify those, how we can now move to our final heading for this morning, transformation from fear to faith. So if we've identified some of those fears there, how can we move now from fear to faith? Well, first of all, I would just point you back to Philippians 4, 6 through 9 that we looked at last week. And this would be an overarching passage that would certainly apply both to fear and any type of worry and any type of anxiety as the two are connected. But remember, fear is what happens in the acute stage. It's what you feel in the moment, and then that quickly turns into worry over time if you don't deal with the fear as you are able to deal with it. And so Philippians 4, if you want to turn there, again, just a a passage that walks us through uh, the basic way that as Christians we can fight against the anxieties and the fears that we face. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things." 
What you have learned and received and heard and, and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here's a few things that you could do before fear hits again. Your next point in the outline, before fear hits again, number one, be sure that your salvation is settled and repent of any other known sin. If you have fear, you need to, number one, just check in. Is like, am I truly born again? Because is this an ungodly fear or is this a godly fear that I'm experiencing? Let me make sure that I'm right with God, that I've acknowledged my sin to him, that I've confessed that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost and I'm dying and I'm on my way to hell. But only through Christ can I be redeemed and can I be born again? Because if you don't have that anchor in the soul of Jesus Christ securing your salvation for all eternity, then you'll never be able to overcome any fear. You'll never be able to overcome any fear with any other false assurance. Only Christ can be that anchor of the soul. And so before fear hits again, make sure that your salvation is settled. Number two, confess and repent of your sins of ungodly fear to God and others whom you fear you may have affected. So the first thing, make sure you're saved. Second thing, you know, I just need to confess, you know, I get afraid. I struggle with fear, and according to what we're looking at this morning, I see how this could very well be categorized as sinful fear. So the first way to fight sinful fear is to confess it as such. God, I am struggling with fear. Please forgive me of my fear. And ever, however that fear has caused you to now affect others, you might want to start going to them and seeking forgiveness as well. Number three, Ask God to work in this area of your life and to help you put forth full effort towards change. God wants to change you. If you've been living a life of fear, you can change and it starts today. And it goes with you each day of the rest of your life. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You don't have to be in a prison of fear. You don't have to be shackled in fear. You don't have to be controlled by fear. doesn't matter if you struggle with it your whole life. If you're right in Christ... You've confessed your sin and you're leaning in to him. He will give you that full ability in changing you. And so the next one we see, number four, before fear hits again, number four, determine right thoughts and actions to combat the ones that you usually have. Make your thoughts thankful, like what we read about there in Philippians 4, about that we're to not be anxious about anything, but we're in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We're to to have thankful hearts. We're to be thankful, hopeful, trusting, and loving. Include scripture in your prayers and in your thoughts and to uh, to put your uh, new thoughts into prayer form. So as you're having these thoughts and you're trying to change these thoughts, you're just constantly breathing out a prayer. You're constantly praying to God, asking for, for his help to think upon him. That's what Psalm 119 verses 59 and 60 says. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. 
And so he's saying, hey, when I think about what I'm going through, I need to quickly come back to you, back to your word, back to your commandments so that I can sure, make sure that my feet are walking in according to your testaments, to your commandments. And, and here's a chart that I listed for you here. Maybe we'll click on this next one, another chart, just to look through a little bit, to consider how you can work through fearful thoughts and move towards thankful, trusting, and loving thoughts. Just a couple of examples there. It says fearful thoughts. Oh, no. I just know this plane is going to crash. I can't do this. I'm going to die. All right, how many of you ever felt that? Oh, just me? All right, so when I'm on an airplane and that sucker bumps, you know, five feet up or five foot down, it, I always skip like two beats. I'm like, oh my word. This is like, all right, all right. You know, I try not to let my kids notice because they think I'm really brave. They think it's fun. You know, they're like, woo, woo. You know, and I'm just like, Lisa and I are like holding hands a little tighter, you know, just like, like. Is this, is it, are we, I mean, I hate that feeling. You know, I used to think it was fun. I think as I get older, I just, I'm struggling with fear more. Pray for me on the plane. You know, it's just like, it just gets to me sometimes. And, and I'm just saying, when you have that thought in that moment, here's a way you could fight it. Just trying to practically spell it out for you. Thank you, Lord, that I am in your hands. Thank you, Lord. It's not Delta that's going to save me. United is not going to get me safely to the ground every time. I mean, hopefully it will, but you know, if it doesn't, that was what we're saying. Thank you, Lord, that I'm in your hands. I am just as safe up here as I am on the ground. You are in control of all things. I can trust you to help me with whatever happens. If you could just say a prayer like that, you would instantly just be like, all right, I'm taking my focus off of the problem. I'm going back to God, his sovereignty, his power, his rule. I'm in his hands. All right, I'm good. I'm going to, it just is so helpful. My job, next fearful thought, you might have this fear. My job is ending soon and I don't have another one yet. What am I going to do? We're going to be in the poor house because we're going to be out of money. I, I, I lost my job. I don't have that. What in the world am I going to do? Well, a way to be thankful and trusting and loving would be, I thank you, Lord, that you know our needs. I will do what I can to find another job, but I know you will help us through whatever happens. Please help me find another job. You are in control of all things. I will trust you and be content with what you provide. And all of a sudden, just as you say that prayer to, to the Lord with sincerity in your heart, you're just like, all right, God's got this. I'm in his hands. Another fearful thought, a fearful thought if I confront her sin, his or her sin, you know, there's somebody you got to deal with, could be a child, a spouse, a friend, a brother, a parent, whatever. If I confront their sin, they're going to get so angry. And I don't know what else uh, they might do, but it could be really bad. I put she in there. I don't know why I did that. I'm just going get, to get in trouble for that. But it's just like, whoever this has, it's just like whoever it is that you're afraid to face a situation, if I confront her, she may get angry, but I will endure it in order to do what you want, Lord. I ask for help. Uh, I ask you to help her respond well, but I will trust you with the outcome. Great prayer, right? Great way to refocus your thoughts in that moment so that what it is that you need to do in lovingly admonishing a friend or a family member that you're able to do, not fearfully, but in faith. And so before fear hits again, let's move on. Number five, before fear hits again, number five, memorize some helpful verses to help you renew your mind. And this is a, a besetting sin for most of us. And so we need to memorize those helpful verses that we can be focused. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may be able to discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
In other words, God, I know it's not your will for me to be buried under fear. And so I'm coming to you and I'm trusting in you and I'm looking to your word to help me grow in this area. Or number six, before fear hits again, you also need to do a study of God's sovereignty. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Before fear hits again, number seven, do a study of God's sufficient grace in times of trouble. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Number eight, when fear hits again, increase your fear of God. Study, pray, and commit to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Before fear hits again, number nine, be alert ready to use self-control and do battle with your thoughts. You fight fear with fear. And the fear that you fight sinful fear with is godly fear. And it is a battle. And it is by you resetting your mind, your attention, your heart on the Lord and on his word. And that's what you do before fear hits again. But let's say you're right in the middle of it. What do you do during the time of fear? The next part of your outline, during the time of fear, what do you do? Number one, earnestly seek the Lord and his help. We talked about that. You're on the airplane, you feel the bump of the turbulence, and immediately, instead of envisioning how fast it's going to crash to the ground and blow up and whether you're going to die of fear or you know, whatever, it's just like, no, no, I'm not even going to go down that path. God, I'm looking to you. I'm quoting your word. I'm seeking you. I'm praying to you in this moment. And he's right here with me. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. There's not a single fear that he won't deliver you from. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, he's saying all of creation could be quaking and shaking, but I'm not because I've set my eyes on the rock, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will not fear. And so in that moment, you can also, number two, put off sinful uh, fear, put off being sinfully fearful. Isaiah 12, two says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Your outline also says there, ask yourself, What am I fearing more than God? The next question, ask yourself, are my thoughts headed in the wrong direction? You could ask again, are they on the future? Are they on untrue things? Are they focused on me? Are they void? Here's your next blank. Or deficient? Are they void or, or deficient of God and his truth? And so these are just a thousand questions that you're counseling yourself. You're, you're preaching the gospel and God's truth to yourself. So as we earnestly seek the Lord and his help, we put off sinfully fearful attitudes. We also, number three, we put on trust. We put on trust, responsibility, and love. A says focus most on God and his promises. You're focusing on God and his promises. Psalm 118, one through two. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's a great verse to memorize and meditate on in the midst of your fear. 
You have to be, make yourself dwell on right thoughts and on the scripture verses that you're trying to memorize. You have to, you have to number one, stay in the present. Number two, think about eternal things and the things that God is concerned with. Number three, think about true thoughts. Number four, think profitable thoughts. Again, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. So we got to focus most on God and his promises, make ourselves dwell on right thoughts and on the scripture. And then you can also ask yourself, see there in the outline, ask yourself, how can I now do what is right? A lot of times it's just that replacing. Like instead of fear gripping me, paralyzing me, keeping me from being able to adequately serve God and others, you can ask yourself, what is, question number one, what is the responsible thing to do right now? Number two, what is a loving thing that I can do right now? Instead of being all me, me, me focused, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. It's like, no, 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 there's other people in this world. And I have an opportunity now to take my mind off of my fear that I'm struggling with as I confess that to the Lord and meditate on God's word. How can I serve others right now? Number three, what constructive thing would God want me to do about this problem? What do you do during time of fear? Earnestly seek the Lord, put off sinful fear, put on trust. And then number four, be willing to endure the temptation to fear if you must in order to love God and love others. If you're a missionary and you're out there in the thick of immense persecution, you're doing it for the love of God. And you might be fearful that you could be caught or arrested or you know, blackballed out of the country, but it's like, you know, I'm, I am afraid, but I'm more afraid of not serving God, and I want to serve others. You know, this is, why, this is why I get on the drop of doom. You know, I want to be there for my kids, and so I, I'm just going to face my fear so I can be there with them. You know, I, that may not be a big thing to you, but I'm like, I got, I got to be there for them. So I'm, if I have to face a fear in order to be there for them, you don't, okay, you don't have to get on the drop of doom. It's okay, people. I'm just saying that you're going to face fear in your life, and sometimes you gotta be willing to face that fear in order to love God and to love others. Let's move on. We talked about uh, what to do with fear before it hits again, what to do in the middle of your fears, but we can also learn after our fears. See there in your outline, if you fail and give way to anxiety or ungodly fear after the fact, you can, number one, ask yourself, how did I sin? Be specific about thoughts and actions. Uh, Number two, ask yourself, if I had to do this over again, what would I think and do? Number three, confess and ask forgiveness of God and anyone else who is affected by or who witnessed your sinful fear. And so here's another chart. Again, you can work through this on your own, but the difference between fear and loving trust. And then let me move just to our last one so we don't have time to work through the chart. But number four, so we wrap it up here. How do you know when a fear has crossed the line? I've mentioned a few times in the sermon, it's okay to be fearful at times if you're on the freeway or at Magic Mountain or whatever. There's a healthy fear that's reasonable and it's okay. But how do you know if that fear has now crossed the line into now being a sinful fear? And just two questions you can use to help you discern that. A, when you are willing to do ungodly things. So if that fear that's gripped your heart is now causing you to lie, to deceive somebody else, to do something else that would be sinful and wrong because you're so afraid out of panic uh, that you're beginning to just do something that would be ungodly, then you know that fear has taken over your heart. Anytime that any sin causes you to do something else, that's an idol in your life where you're saying, I have to have this right now 
or I, I got to get away from this right now, and it's causing you to do something ungodly in order to do that, then you know that fear has crossed a line. And that's the same thing B is. It's the flip side. When you are not fulfilling godly responsibilities, when the fear is so evident in your life that it's keeping you from fulfilling the godly responsibilities that you know God's called you to fulfill, then that fear is now clearly crossed a line and it is sinful. And so after each episode of fear, those are some good questions to ask and learn and kind of go to school on what you went through and how you can hopefully respond better next time. Well, it was Jesus who said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My hope and prayer is that throughout this sermon, that you would maybe take these notes more than we could adequately cover in a sermon like this, but that you would take these notes and just think through them and look up these cross-references and understand that fear can be a really bad thing and fear can be a really good thing. And it just depends on who are you fearing and to what degree are you fearing and we want you to fear God in such a way that you would have such a love for him and a desire to walk with him that you could walk in the obedience that he's called us to. On that take-home slide, just a couple of resources that you could look to. Uh, what do you do when fear overcomes you? Jay Adams, classic biblical counseling uh, material, Courage. This might be one of my favorite uh, books on fear. Again, uh, Fighting Fear with Fear. The whole idea of you better fear God more than you fear your problem. That's written by Wayne Mack. Another favorite author of mine, Lou Priolo, Fear, Breaking It grip. And so those are some great resources. If this is something that you're struggling with, that those resources would come in very handy for you. Just meditate on God's word. And then you could also meet with someone regularly who could encourage you and hold you accountable. Well, listen, we've gone a little bit late today, so we're not going to sing a final song. I'm just going to pray for us, and then you're welcome to hang out and meet and greet each other here for a little bit. We do have a few people in the back who are available to pray with you. We have a prayer room right over here to my right, and just after every service, just know if God's speaking to your heart, and you know you need to get right with God, or there's something you're just kind of struggling with, and you want to talk to us, we're always here to serve you, and there's always people available at that back door who could pray with you, encourage you. It's our delight to serve you in any way that we can this morning. Let's close our service now with this final prayer. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to just open up and kind of skip across a few key verses in the Bible, Isaiah 41, 10, Psalm 4, uh, I mean, uh, Philippians 4, just other passages that, that we gravitate towards as we think about this particular struggle in our hearts. And we pray, God, that you would allow us to truly be transformed today that we would move from fear to faith and that we would learn as Christians that we are in your hands and that you bought us with a price and that we're not our own. And that no matter what happens in the world with all the things that we've mentioned that are going on in society today, God, that it would just cause us to look to you and to walk more closely to you and to hold to your word more, more intently and that we would meditate on it day and night so that we might be careful to do all that's written in it. God, thank you that you've said 365 times in the Bible, fear not, one for each day. So help us today and tomorrow and the next day just to, to grab some of these verses, to meditate on your truth, to talk to others about what we're going through and just to keep looking to Christ. May you encourage us today as we walk by faith and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.